Do you have a voting plan in place? Do you have a backup voting plan in place? Do you know how, when, and where you're going to participate in this November election? Talk to your friends and loved ones about their voting plans. Figure your voting plans out. Check out to see if your mail-in ballot requires the signature of a witness or a naked envelope thingy or really anything else. Let's make sure your vote counts this November. Hello, ducklings! This is Blanche Debris, and you're listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Pasty Tapes. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, recording live today from under a blanket in my bedroom in Chicago. If you follow me across social media, you know that I am deep in this election cycle's doom scroll and all of that. I think voting is super important. If you need help figuring out your voting plan or finding ways to get involved, hit me up or I made a handy links page at showmymore.com slash donate dash vote dash act and you'll be able to have some handy information there. Please, please, please figure out how you're going to vote in this November's election. Okay, in other fun news, I am running a little giveaway on the Pasty Tapes Instagram. That's at the Pasty Tapes. All you have to do is mail something to my P.O. box, and I will mail you a sticker that says the Pasty Tapes or a sticker of myself, or maybe even both. You just have to mail something to my P.O. box, and I will mail you something in return. This way, you can support the USPS, and you can support the Pasty Tapes, and you'll get a really cute sticker or two back. You can mail it to Show My More at P.O. Box 47559, Chicago, Illinois, 60647. Again, everything is on the Pasty Tapes Instagram. Just follow the Instagram, see the instructions, and you'll get a really, really cute sticker. I would love to have mail from you. Whenever I check the P.O. Box, I get super excited when I have mail in there. So send me something and make my day. Let's jump into today's episode. My guest today is someone who constantly pushes for me to be better. She's someone I absolutely adore. I love seeing her perform. I love just talking to her. I also think she is such a great instructor. Today's guest is an award-winning, headlining burlesque performer who has launched audiences to their feet from coast to coast. She's an instructor at the Atlanta School of Burlesque and a member of the Candy Box Review. I'm so delighted to share this interview with you. This is the Lady of Legitude. This is my conversation with Lola Le Soleil. Lola Le Soleil, thank you so much for being on this episode of The Pasty Tapes. Well, thank you, darling, for inviting me. I'm very glad to be here, and I'm glad to say hi to all of those glittery ears out there. I don't know if you know this, but like you have given me such a solid foundation in burlesque with all of the advice and cheerleading that you've given me. And so I just want to say thank you and start there. Well, darling, thank you very much. And it has been a pleasure getting to know you and seeing you evolve and grow just exponentially. You are, you're, you're just, you are, you're like this, you're like a little, a supernova that just kind of went kabam. And I'm just over here on the side going, yeah, uh-huh, that's right, get it, mm-hmm, all of this. What? Number four, podcast. You know that moment in Pinky and the Brain when, when, when Pinky says, what are we going to do tomorrow night? And Brain says, try to take over the world. You had one of those moments where you're like, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to be amazing. I'm going to take over everything. And I was like, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe her. I, I sign, I co-sign all of this. And yes. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Anyway, That's enough about me. Let's jump, let's jump <laughs> in and talk about you. Okay. Wait, what? Aries to Aries, all about me. What? Right. What? I've been, I've been talking is. for like five minutes and none of this has been about you. Really, the Pacey tapes is just the, my uh, excuse to just talk about myself and take oh, I know. this advice mm-hmm. um, and I not share you. it with anyone. Yeah. that's. Right. <laughs> I see you. I heard that you first fell in love with burlesque after seeing Jubilee in Las Vegas before it closed. This is what kicked off your obsession with costuming, not burlesque necessarily, but costuming, right? You can go online, go on YouTube and you can search Jubilee and you can see videos from what the what the show was. It was at Bally's Hotel, which is one of was one of the simpler designed hotels, but it housed what was like the last of the opulent, over-the-top, extravagant, iconic Las Vegas glittering showgirl shows. So, I mean, it had a reenactment of the sinking of the Titanic. That was like their signature thing that they did every single night. You know, statuesque performers with 10, 12 foot headdresses that weighed lots and lots of pounds and cascading feathers and cascading rhinestones and perfect synchronicity and illuminated staircases and singing. And it just filled my eyeballs and filled my soul. And I'm like, why am I not doing this? I have, I meet the height requirement, but not the dance ability, but whatever, it's fine. But yeah, after that, talk about having stars in our eyes. And that really was it. I was like, how do I get these feathers and rhinestones just dripping off of me like this? Because I feel that I need it in my life. Also, there weren't enough chorus girls that looked brown like me, but that's kind of been the life that I've lived. That's It's just a thing. Representation. It's a thing. Another couple of years after that, I was at a blast off burlesque show with some other friends. And I was like, this right here. And my friend Heidi is sitting next to me and I'm hitting Heidi on the arm and she's like, stop bruising me. And I'm like, but this, this is what I want. Cause I was in a salsa group with her. She's like, well, okay. Uh, we, I can introduce you to one of the performers if you'd like. And I'm like, yes, please. Yes, please. Thank you. And it turned out to be Tallulah Love. And I met Tallulah and I just was like, this was fantastic. And everything was so beautiful and it was funny. It like had so much passion and it had humor. And I, wait, we can put sexy and funny together? Well, yeah, I mean, I knew that, but like to see it live, how do I do this? How do I get those costumes on this body? She's like, well, um, there's a class series that I teach. It's called the ABCs and one, two, threes of burlesque with sirens of the South. And I was like, come on, I have money. I'm giving you money and I'm going to do this. So I think that was like in May and I started taking the classes in that fall. And now here we are. And here we are like 10 years later. There's a lot of costumes in my in my storage room, and I'm like, oh, that's definitely 10 years of collecting stuff. One of the things that I love is this interest in costumes and opulent looks brought you to burlesque, right? Or you went to a burlesque show and you're like, you made that connection between costumes and then went out and did, the, did your classes, picked up the sewing machine, watched the hours of YouTube. And today or now, right, in your pedestrian life, you 
you're a film and TV costumer. Funny how that worked out. So I worked for almost 20 years for a, for the same company, which was a, a, an educational music products company. In 2015, I lost my job, but my salsa bells would, and I was also a member of a salsa ensemble for, for, 10 years we were they were at rehearsal and they'd been to my shows they'd seen Lola perform they enjoyed me and they're like why don't you go into costuming and I'm like no I couldn't do that costume designers are really fancy and they do like movie stuff and I don't know how to do that and I just know how to put snap tape and stuff or rip clothes off on stage how would that translate to anything the governor of the state of Georgia at the time created a program called the Georgia Film Academy like if you're wanting to get into film, it's one of those questions like how it's like you're looking at a box and like, how do I get into this box? Because the state of Georgia's, you know, film and TV entertainment industry was expanding so much. This was a way to create the workforce that works behind the scenes on these pro- on these projects. And that's what I did. I started in that. Frequently, people had no idea that I was an intern because, I mean, I had almost 20 years of sales and management behind me. So I, you know, I was not you know, a starstruck teenager coming in there, you know, unfocused or having to learn or, you know, getting their chops in the workplace. I wasn't that. Right. Um, my manager brain kicked in, but it's the same as anything else that I've done. Cause I've always been a musician, always been an artist. You need to be there early. You need to get it as right as you can the first time and pay attention. So, so much of that, it was just, you know, it's like, and then it was just also kind of getting out of my own way. I'm glad that you've mentioned this because other people have mentioned this to me. Talk to me more about your salsa group and how that influenced your burlesque and how you burlesque. So I started salsa before I started burlesque. I started taking salsa classes because a friend of mine wanted, you know, was like, hey, I want to go dancing in these clubs, but I don't, I want to be able to know that I have somebody there who is about on my level. Would you come take dance classes? And I'm like, eh, yeah, sure. I'm not doing anything else. So I started taking classes and there would be parties and there would be performance groups at the parties. And I saw the ladies group that they had called the Salsa Bells. And I was like, ooh, I want to do that. So the style of salsa that I danced was called casino, and it came out of the social clubs in Cuba, uh, pre-Castro, I believe. But it's danced in a circle, and you've got, they're executing, executing specific moves based on whatever the caller says. So there's a caller that is, you know, calling all the moves like, hey, do this, hey, do this. And sometimes there are hand gestures that go along with it, and you execute it, you understand what the timing is, and you execute that, and that's how you also change partners. So traditionally, it was men and women, but this troop was all ladies. So, and when I saw them perform, I was like, yeah, I need to do this every Sunday afternoon for the next eight years, rehearsing and performing. And it was, it was, it was challenging and it was exciting. And then I started taking the burlesque classes and, you know, there'd be some ladies styling tips from salsa that I would remember. And it would just come out when I was dancing, like a full arm extension and a certain way to hold my hand. Then I would hear certain rhythms and certain combinations and my feet would just automatically, you know, like a step ball change or then like a pause and something. And I would keep going and I'm like, you know what? It works with the music. It's fine. And it added a subtle flair that I just felt was what it was because that was just how I danced and it had just infused itself into me. It's a different way to stylize what you're doing and it's a different way to play with your rhythms and play with your counts. To have a different level of musicality and musical diversity on the stage is, it's always entertaining. And, and 
you know, whenever I see other performers do, you know, Latin music inspired pieces, man, my feet, my butt and my feet just start going in the seat. I'm just like, yes, yes, do it. Come on, do the thing. Okay. Speaking of cross-pollinating, I'm going to pivot a little bit. Another thing that I think you're known for and execute really well is nerd blast. Like you're a big nerd and you do a lot of cosplay things in addition to burlesque stuff and nerd blast. Can you tell me more about the crossover between your fandoms and burlesque? It starts, it starts with Halloween. It really does because I would do for many, many years, Halloween was just kind of a do the best I can figure it out kind of thing. And I think, I think it was 1999. I did my first group Halloween costume with some friends and uh, it was Scooby-Doo and I was Velma and I was very excited to buy a wig and the magnifying glass and source the orange turtleneck and the red skirt. And it was just a whole lot of fun, you know, but back then they didn't call it cosplay. It was just dressing up for Halloween. Then I started attending. So around there, I started attending Dragon Con. I think my first Dragon Con was 2005. And a couple of years after that, like I made a set of fairy wings, large, pretty large fairy wings and incorporated lights into them. Oh God, that reminds me like there was a year that I had, I like, would wear those Afro puffs that I wear for my princess Leia. This must've been the first year I had them. And I don't know. So like around that time, I was just like, how do I make myself shine a little bit more? And I had the opportunity to perform at the Dragon Con burlesque show, the Glamour Geek Review. And it's in a ballroom uh, with 1,000 plus fans. You know, you can cut the anticipation with a knife because people are there. It's packed. They've waited in line for two hours to get in. They want to be entertained. They know that their fandom is some one of their fandoms is going to be served to them on a silver platter on that stage. When I when I found out I was going to be doing it, I was like, like in my mind, I knew what was going to be created because I had done a casual version of the Princess Leia before. God, that was 2009. So the Princess Leia evolved into a burlesque act. And I had to figure out a way to make her bigger and badder than what she was when I just walked around in her from a, a couple of years before. So it, that was that was definitely something. It was interesting because like the original costume was just a Ruby's off the rack costume. But I remember the first year I wore that Dragon Con is, you know, 50, 60, 70,000 people walking around shoulder to shoulder. So many people would stop and take pictures of me because Princess Leia was one of my idols as, as growing up. So it was like Princess Leia and Miss Piggy and Wonder Woman and uh, Carol Burnett. Those, <laughs> those were my touchstones. When I imagined my Princess Leia, I was like, well, I get the buns and I've always loved the cinnamon bun hairdo, but my hair doesn't do that. My hair is kinky. So I need to make my Princess Leia look like what I can do. So that's where those Afro puffs came in and they sit on the side of my head, just like, um, just like our dear beloved uh, departed Princess Leia. And it just, it just kind of grew from that, but people were stopping to take pictures because I guess seeing a black Princess Leia didn't happen very often because, you know, Dragon Con was, you know, predominantly, you know, non-POC. I'll just go ahead and say it. It was my fierceness and, you know, just, yes, I am here. I am doing this. And it also happened that year that my buddy, Ed, um, was dressed kind of like a steampunk Han Solo. So people would see us together and they're like, oh my God, we got to get pictures. And I'm like, yeah. And like the best moment of that Dragon Con was 
I was walking through and there was a black mom and her little boy who were, a little boy was dressed as Batman and they came up to me and she said, we have been following you for a while. He wants to get a picture of you. Is it okay? And I looked down at this little black Batman. Oh, I'm getting emotional. And he's like, you're so pretty. He's like, you're so pretty. I was like, thank you so much. You are a very strong looking Batman. I said, do you want a picture? And he said, yeah. And I got a picture with him and it just, it meant a lot in that moment because I was representation for him and he was representation for me with his little four-year-old self and for his mom. And she thanked me so much for, you know, being a character that she knew, but now it was packaged in a way that she could relate to and really appreciated. And so, yeah, it was, it was deep. So yeah, Princess Leia ended up, ended up being a striptease act after that. (laughs) You know, you've mentioned before at the top of our conversation at Jubilee, you know, recognizing that there were not enough chorus girls that looked like you. And then we move into this nerd space again, right? You're experiencing this really powerful moment of, is there a black Batman? Is there a black princess Leia? Like, no, you had to be that. What are your thoughts on that? And all these like spaces that you've been in, you're being that representation moment for so many people. Well, um, Usually I, yeah, no, it's always there. It's, it's always kind of a, I am going into the space where there's probably been zero or one or two of me before. And I always have that sense of responsibility to present myself the best way I can. Not just because I am of a minority, but because that's how my grandma and my mama and my daddy raised me. (laughs) It's like, you're not going to go out of this house and embarrass me. So there's that too. So it's like, must represent every, you know, must represent whenever I am, whenever there is the possibility that a spotlight, good or bad, will be shown on me brighter than others. You know, just thinking about that, that was 2009. So now we're more than 10 years later and I see all of the spaces that have grown up and the groups that are there. And I am absolutely floored by the Black cosplayers now and what they create and the access that they have. A lot of the technical skills for costume design and cosplay design have just you know, exploded in the past several years and having access to that. And it's, it's definitely made, it's definitely created more spaces for people to express themselves and be whatever they want to be and then find each other and share that. I don't feel as alone anymore. I don't feel as isolated anymore. Very similar with burlesque. So much has changed and I see more people and I have, I can see, literally, I see them on my computer or I see them on stage and I'm like, yes, I'm not, I'm not as alone anymore. Being the awkward black girl, I'm not the only one. And, And it feels so, so good. Like, okay, real quick, last year, my, my, one of my nieces is in her early twenties and she texted me and she said, are you going to Dragon Con this year? I think I'm going to go this year. And I, my heart exploded. So I was like, we got another blurred in the family. Oh, oh my God, this is amazing. She dressed up. She is a fan of Full Metal Alchemist. She did her cosplay. And like the next day I had a chance to do the, the black cosplayers photo that's in the, on the backside of the Hilton. And I've been looking forward to that for several years because I just could never make it. And she came and she was there. And then she had like the black anime fans who took their pictures. And I remember standing there looking at all of the opportunities 
that she had to find people and meet and greet and hug and share. And I'm like, this is her first Dragon Con and she gets all of this. I might've been a little jealous, but that's fine. Cause I'm like, the generations are different and she could do everything. It's like, I, I saw myself in her. And at the same time, I saw that she just had, there was just, there was just more. And I was very excited for her and I was excited for myself. And it was amazing. It was amazing. A lot has changed, but then I also see youngsters and I'm going to call them youngsters because they're, you know, on average 15, 20 years younger than me. I see that they are dealing with trolls and gatekeepers and you can't cosplay like that because you don't look like that. And I'm just like, you know what? All of y'all just let it go. And, and so often the youngsters are, they're so sincerely, they're genuinely wounded and like they're like oh I don't know if I even need to do this anymore but then some of them are just like you can't tell me what to do what do you know blah 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 and I'm like yeah pretty much and I think about that I'm like and and just the experience that I have had for all of these years of doing this no one ever said to me you can't cosplay Velma or you can't cosplay Princess Leia no one's ever fixed their face to tell me that I don't know if it happens and I'm just not aware of it and still wouldn't give a shit because this is what I connect to. This is my fandom. This is my, this is my wheelhouse. I'm going to dress up like this because this is what I want to do. And it means something to me. You know, it's like, no, I don't have the cinnamon bun hairdo. I have the Afro puffs because that's what my hair does. Thinking about like, you know, this passion that you feel about this in this cosplay example and Dragon Con example, I think about last year when we were together at Behoff at the Legends panel, it ended, you know, the room cleared out and you and our dear friend, Lady Lola Lestrange together are separate to start, but we were both like crying. We were bawling. Yeah. And you, we, you know, stood huddled together and you were like, show my, like, this is important. This was important. What you just saw as at your first like behalf, like this was important. I'm very grateful for that. And I love that I see, you know, this impact is not lost on you at all. Like when it comes to nerd, dumb, like nerd opportunities to burlesque. Fringe entertainment in general and POC representation within that, you know, and I think about, you know, circus arts as well as burlesque. You know, it's like, yeah, you don't see a whole lot of black hoopers or Asian hoopers or fire performers. And Mark Turnley, who is a wonderful photographer who has captured me several times and he takes some of the best pictures of me. He and I have this conversation every once. He's like, how do you, how do we continue this art forward for for those who look like us and I'm like it's it's an sometimes it's an access thing sometimes it's a is the, does this art challenge folks morals too much I believe sometimes it comes down to access and then what they're seeing on stage if they don't see what looks like them then they're gonna not be as interested and then you get the trailblazers who are like yeah no be the burlesque you want to see. And they put themselves on stage. It just feels like there's not, feels like there's not enough of us, but we are here. We have to continue pushing. We have to continue creating. There's not a whole lot of us, but we've always been there. Always. We just may not have had the same side stage or may not have had the same microphone or access to the microphone or be, you know, as broadly promoted or advertised to a larger, wider audience. But We've always been there. Absolutely, we've always been there. Okay, I'm like in my apartment that has no lights on right now and I'm oh. crying. <laughs> like that's 
It's okay. Seeing you see the Legends panel, I think, was really powerful for me. Of our burlesque legends, like who inspired you? Who's been important to you personally? Tell me about your love of the Legends. My inspirations for sure, like, and this, and she was an inspiration and I didn't know it because I hadn't met her at the time. My very first burlesque costume, it is reminiscent of the iconic photo of Lottie the body. So she's got on this long fringe skirt somewhere, I think on some photographer's camera roll is a shot of me in a similar pose. And I didn't know. And I think my mom, because she's a supporter in this way, like found a picture of Lottie the body. She's like, you look like this. And I'm like, Ooh, who's that? Must learn who this is. And then I did. And then I met her and she was a lovely, lovely woman. Another year I met Tony Elling. Tony's story, the fact that she started dancing in her thirties immediately resonated with me close to where I had started. And I was like, Oh, Oh, so this was a thing. So you could do this. And she had left a career to start dancing and she had wonderful relationships and to listen to her tell her story and giggle and, you know, show that cheek and be wise and witty and all of this. It's, uh, I'm like, this, this is, this is the grandmother. As much as I love my grandmother, I'm like, this is my spiritual grandmother. This is the one who puts a hand on my shoulder and tells me that I'm doing a wonderful job taking my clothes off and that she enjoys watching me perform. My own grandmother is like scandalized by fringe and she feels that fringe should only be worn by those salsa dancers or those people, those ladies on Dancing with the Stars. My grandma, like I said, she's almost hundred years old and she's Southern and there are just some things that a lady just doesn't do. So yeah, she would be wholly scandalized by me taking off my clothes, but not, not Tony Elling. <laughs> and I love laughing with her and she's so stylish, so stylish. Yeah. Last year at, 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 uh, at the Legends panel, I, mm, that that was a lot. That was emotional because I was there also uh, with uh, Shauna, the Black Venus, and I love Shauna. That like first time seeing her was year before last, and she is more like my mom. She reminds me very much of my mother. But like Shauna and I were standing next to to Tony, but Tony had told a relate a story about being concerned as a performer. She had been brought into this club, which you know, like Monday through I think. Friday or Monday through Saturday was it was a white only club and then they brought her in on Sunday to do the black night and she was concerned that she was not air quotes black enough for the audience that she didn't know how to entertain them the same way she would entertain white audiences and I understood that because I frequently think that I'm like am I black enough what Ever that means. And then I realized, I'm like, you know what? I see myself on these stages. And yes, the fact that I wake up and I look like this and I am this, that equals black enough, <laughs> you know? And it's like, when I had the opportunity to perform with Jeezy's joint, like that, like being accepted to Jeezy's was like being accepted to perform at Behoff. That meant so much. Cause I'm like, y'all see, my, my people see me. That's, that's deep because for so long, I'm just like, uh, you know, I guess I'm just out here being, you know, being myself, but you know, I don't know if my brand of what I do 
translates with these other audiences that look like me because I got picked on as a kid as being, you know, the Oreo. So I was the black kid who talked white. And then I realized that there's so many other performers who have that same thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not alone. Thank you so much. But when you get on stage, none of that is seen. None of that is seen. It is your skill. It is your craft that is seen. And that made, that helped remind me, I'm like, thank you, Tony, because it is your craft. It is your professionalism. It is your talent. It is your musicality. It is everything that you are that that audience is paying to see. That is what they are there for. They don't care what you sound like. They don't care that you know, you actually love Professor Elemental, which I personally do. Um, they don't care about that. They just, they want to see you as the entertainer. Accept it, do your best on that stage, and they will appreciate you. So just like having that moment with her and hearing her tell that story, I did, I started crying because I didn't know that anybody else from a previous generation would have experienced that. But it makes sense when I thought about it, but it meant so much to hear her say that. And I I just, she is a treasure. Mm. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. That's incredibly powerful. And, you know, I said it, I said it over the summer. I'll say it again. You know, that panel was important and you're important and us being there witnessing that important. The act that you did when we, when it comes to access and being visible, you did an incredibly powerful act at the Burlesque Hall of Fame a few years ago. You did your stood up act. What was it like bringing your brand of burlesque to that stage with that act? When I submitted that, that was, I think, the third time, third or fourth time I had submitted something to to the showcase. So ridiculous me. The first year I submitted anything, I had never attended BHOP. I had no idea what it was. And I submitted an act. And then the following year I attended it. I was like, oh no. Oh yeah. Oh no. I have absolutely no business on this stage. <laughs> what I submitted was Mm-mm, no. Oh gracious. What was I even thinking? But, you know, I tried tried again in subsequent years. And I think that that stood up act resonates with so many people because of that story that the, the story of waiting for that blind date that doesn't come. And then you find your solace with your music and by yourself and within yourself, ultimately. Because I have I've lived that, the the whole being stood up for a date thing. I've lived that once or twice, maybe. When I created that act, I had just come off of foot surgery. So I wanted to create something where I didn't, that wasn't dance heavy. You know, the idea of bringing something that I didn't feel was quote unquote big enough for Behoff did kind of give me, give me jelly knees for sure. But like the idea was, I want to tell my story. I don't want to have to put shoes on for too long. And I want this to be a love letter to my 16 or 17 year old self. I think that that act is really powerful because of that recognition that you have, like in representing, right? Like at some point in the act, you're not only taking off your shoes, like you take off your hair. Like that's, yep. that's yeah. a piece of it. That's yeah. not something, like I said, like that's not something you'd expect anyone to do on that stage in the way that yeah. you did it. You know, it's funny. I forget about that, that wig reveal. Because, you know, it's like you're looking at this, this, I, like, ideally, idealistically feminine person with the long, curly, pretty hair and the hair flower and the cute dress. You realize that that was put on for 
a person that they haven't met yet. This, so it's like, this is my presentation to you. And then, you know, she comes home and she's just like, you know what? This is not it. This is not working. I don't want this. I'm not wearing this. I'm going to put on, you know, just a t-shirt and take off this stupid binding ass corset. Who is this for? It's for a person who didn't show and doesn't deserve it. I deserve myself. Thank you very much. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm already there. I'm <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's like doing so much to look perfect and to look precious and to look cute and alluring and no, <laughs> I hadn't thought about, I hadn't thought about it in that way. Thank you for, for giving me a, a different insight to that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, on that note, right. You're definitely a ham. You call yourself a ham. You've called mm-hmm. me a ham. We're hams mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. but we're also yes, sexy hams. hams. Sexy hams. I, you know what? I'll, I'll give you this. And this is, it's, it's interesting because there's something about Ray Gunn and Bazooka Joe. So stage door Johnny's Ray Gunn has a show called the vertical side show that he produces in Chicago. And he had seen me perform and I'd seen him perform at, you know, festivals and events and stuff. A couple of years ago, he reached out to me to come up to Chicago to perform with vertical side show. They were doing like a, a steampunk inventors show. So the concept was that there were inventors and there were inventions and he wanted me to be an automaton. And this is the first time I had experienced being assigned a specific concept for a show. I can do like, okay, we're going to do, you know, working girl show or food theme show. And I'm like, oh yeah, cool. I can do that. But for someone, for a producer to say, this is what I want from you, figure it out. (laughs) That's pretty much what Ray did. That is what Ray does. My automaton story was that she came to life and discovered that she had a heart and gave away pieces of her heart and that broke her because she was pulling all the gears out of her heart. And then once she breaks, she sheds the mechanical skin and realizes that she is human. And I had to come up with that by myself, but I reached out to my friend, Amy, who made the stood up, get down dress. I reached out to her and I was like, this is the idea that I have for this dress. What do I do? I think I want it out of XYZ fabric. How do I design this? And she, I still have her drawing and her sketches and she helped me. I, I sewed it, but she helped me understand how to use, you know, like what kind of structure I need to have underneath in order for the pull to come out. And I'm using a fabric, I'm using neoprene because I wanted a sheen on the costume, but I didn't know how to do it. That costume was a lot of work. And John created the mechanism that I put inside the dress that, is the steam or the, the, the smoke that comes out of my heart once I break it. So he was very helpful creating that. Did a lot of YouTubing and a lot of looking up of how to make the mechanism small enough to fit into a pocket that I put on the dress and where was I going to put the on-off switch so that I could hit it at a certain point in the costume. But, you know, I was so proud of that. And then I see, you know, these other technically and technically complicated and complex costumes. I'm like, Oh, um, mine is really lame compared to all that, but I have to let it go because it was a beautiful piece. And Ray challenged me and being in that show meant so much to see all the other creativity. And the fact that Ray reached out to me, wait, you know what I do. I'm a goof. 
But Ray also is not going to let me get away with, you know, dismissing myself. He is another gentleman that I feel is a brother that I, he's a brother from another mother. He gets on my nerves like a brother does. But at the same time, he'll needle me. But at the same time, it's like he sees that there is more that I can draw upon to create. And they, they invited me back because they did a show in Atlanta a couple of months ago. And Bazooka Joe this time was like, hey, I have an idea. I want you to do this. Here's a prop. You know how to do this, right? You can figure it out. We trust you. And I'm like, okay, cool. And so I realized that having the benefit of Bazooka and Ray, they give me, they open my eyes to something else that I wouldn't have considered on my own. They're just like, Lola can do this. Let's have, she can do it. Just bring her, pay her. She's going to do it. It'll be fine. It'll be great. And we'll, we'll be pleased with what she does. Although I'm always second guessing myself. I'm like, was it okay? Was it good? Was it what you needed? Was it fine? But the audience is happy and they're pleased. So I'm like, okay, clearly I did it right. But yeah, like the idea of having someone come to you and give you an assignment. Cause I'm, you know, I try to be that A plus student. They've made me or they've encouraged me and set high expectations for me. And I appreciate that. I think I, I work best when I know that someone is expecting a lot from me. And I think that's what I do with the audiences. I assume that they are expecting a lot from me and therefore I must, I must live up to that and even exceed that if at all possible. I think that, okay, I think this is a perfect segue. Can you tell me like how you found your voice as a performer, as a burlesque performer? What was that process like for you? I remember when I started, started thinking about taking burlesque and when I understood what it was, I was like, you know what? I'm getting close to turning 40. I have perspective on my life and on the world and experiences that I feel I'm ready to, you know, mold into a performance. Knowing myself, I couldn't imagine trying to do that in my early mid twenties. I hadn't, hadn't dealt with enough. I'm coming into 40 and I'm like, 40 is a good solid number to start taking my clothes off on stage. Sure. <laughs> Why right. not? Right. I think what happened is I, I became more like my grandmother maybe, or I, I, I've started to distill my personality because it's like, I was always kind of the off kilter kid. I was the, you know, the punk listener, the headbanger. But I was like, I, all of those I enjoyed in my growing up. It's like, how do I make that work now as a persona? And I, you know, sinking back into certain vintage styles, like I am a fool for a good vintage jewelry set. I, I don't know if this is, this is even it. This is something that I've incorporated into my pedestrian life is wearing all these jewels. A lot of that came from acquiring some for my grandmother, um, who is going to be 100 in, in two weeks. I, I ran from like matching your shoes to your purse, to your hat, to your glove. I, I ran from that as a kid because I thought, oh, it's too much. It's too extra. But there's something about it that works for me now. It's like you put all that together and to have that coordinated, complementary look is, it's okay for me. I'm all right with it now. I don't know. 
I know this is the body that I came into the world in and it is the vessel that I will have until I am dust. So I do the best that I can with it. Occasionally put ridiculous or, you know, memorable costumes on, including my pedestrian daily life. And I, I do my best to, you know, be comfortable with myself and in my own skin. And I believe I've done a hell of a job with that. I wish very much for others to have that kind of Zen about who they are and just accept that. But I also know just listening to friends of mine, there is a lot of work that goes into that. There's a lot of work that goes into that and, you know, reconciling, you know, influences throughout one's life can be, can be challenging, but then getting through that is also a unique reward because it's yours and it's in there with you. And however you process that gets molded and compressed down to it, down into another diamond that shines its own light out of you. So, you know, I wish for more of my friends to, to become, you know, to, com- to, to compress more diamonds within them and shine that light out and let it reflect and illuminate. Yeah. I think that was really lovely. Okay, my diamond. I think that's a beautiful place to end this episode of the Pasty Tapes. Lola Lacele, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, I hang out occasionally, sporadically on the Instagram at Lola underscore Lacele, and that's spelled L-E-S-O-L-E-I-L. Um, I, again, even more sporadically show up on the Facebook at Lola Le Soleil. Um, I have a website that, ooh, Lord, needs to be updated. Um, that is lolalaysole.com. Oh, and tomorrow I'm going to, I'm saying this out loud to hold myself accountable. I am going to post a surprise from my, from my burlesque graduation. It's going to be on the Instagram. I'm going to post it and just, you know, I don't know when this is coming out, but it'll be a thing. It'll look back. Yeah, you can look back. Three months from now. You can look back on it and and be like, oh, that's what she's talking (laughs) about. Her burlesque, her burlesque anniversary little surprise, surprise thing. Yeah. Lola, happy birthday. Thank you so much for being on this episode of the Pasty Tapes. Love you, babe. Bye. Thanks again, Lola. Okay, that interview actually took place back in April on Lola's birthday, which was a really nice way for her to spend her quarantine's birthday with me recording this episode. We just have a few updates for you that Lola wanted to share. Lola mentioned her grandma a few times in her interview. Her grandma is now 100 years old and healthy. Grandma is a fellow Aries. Her birthday was on April 17th. Also, at the end, Lola mentioned having a little burlesque anniversary slash birthday surprise that she wanted to post on her social media. She posted it. Check the links in the show notes, and I'll have it linked down there. Lola also wants to note that in recent years, she's alternated between attending Burning Man in Nevada with Super John and attending Dragon Con since both of those happen on Labor Day weekend. Both of those events happen virtually this year, so She says that hearing her words from several months ago was uplifting and reminded her how much Dragon Con means to her. It'll always be her first con love, and she wants to give a shout out to all the volunteers who made conventions and festivals happen. She sees you and appreciates you. Thank you again for listening to this delightful episode with Atlanta-based Lola Le Soleil. I adore her. I hope you do, too. 
If you want to get a free Pasty Tapes or Show My More sticker, visit The Pasty Tapes on Instagram at The Pasty Tapes. Let's show the USPS and, you know, my usually empty P.O. box some love. Follow The Pasty Tapes on Instagram at The Pasty Tapes. Follow the directions and you'll get a free sticker. This episode was made possible with the support from members of the Pacey Tapes fan club. And if you want to join the fan club, get some exclusive behind the scenes and other fun stuff, visit thepaceytapes.com and join today. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, and you can find me at Show My More across the internet. Please, dear listeners, come up with your voting plan, come up with your backup voting plan, and talk to your friends about how they're going to vote in this upcoming election. Stay safe, stay cozy, wear your masks, and I'll talk to you soon. You have been listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. This is Blanche Debris saying thanks for listening, and see you later, ducklings.